So hello everyone and welcome to today's episode of The Sordid Skeptic. I'm Shredder Steve and today we're going to be talking a little bit about virtue. And I'm here with uh, my co-host, Timmy. Yo. <laughs> Hi. So we got a great episode in store for you guys today. We're going to be talking a little bit about virtue and why it's the best way to orient yourself in the world and how it's going to lead to a better life for everybody. So let's start this off a little bit, Tim, with uh, a quick discussion of eudaimonia and how that would translate. Because I know it seems to translate as happiness, but it seems to be a little bit deeper than that. What do you think? Yeah, I think it means essentially, you know, a sense of human flourishing and prosperity. And uh, this, in a way, it, it correlates to why why we'd want to add virtue to our life. And um, essentially, it helps us achieve a sense of excellence. So, you know, we move further away from evil and closer to good. And, and, and that's is, uh, yeah, definitely something we want to uh, have more of in today's society. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think, uh, yeah, I think people, uh, I know myself, I'm trying to find my way, you know, and I think studying virtue and exercising it is a good way to to bring this about and lead a more productive happier life fantastic so i think the, the greeks were on to something <laughs> yeah definitely yeah. it's uh it's an idea that's a couple thousand years old now but i think uh they were definitely on to something mm. as well mm. and uh i think having these virtues is something that's definitely going to help stabilize our society a little bit and uh, like you said, move that needle a little bit closer towards the good. So uh, mm -hmm. let's start it off with talking a little bit about this golden mean that Aristotle talks, talks about in his uh, Nicomanchean Ethics. Uh, he makes this distinction between intellectual virtues like wisdom, intelligence, prudence, and moral virtues, which describe more about a person's character, uh, like their temperance, for example, like moderation. Mm-hmm. And a moral virtue is the outcome of action and habit and thus we acquire virtues by exercising them so it can be compared to learning an art so for example if we want to become builders we do that by building similarly if we want to become just we do that by doing just acts so the main argument is that an excess too much of or deficiency not enough of an action or feeling is harmful whereas a suitable amount right in between the vices generally produces the best outcome therefore virtue is a mean state or the middle way yeah i can definitely see it's that like a, how it's uh it is sort of like walking that middle road a little bit how i guess if you were to go too far in either direction you can run into those deficiencies and excesses that uh that he talks about and it seems to be something i can't remember the guy who uh i guess came up with this but it was taken off of the aristotle idea this uh this mean where it's almost like common sense where you can anyone can observe something that's better and something that's worse and it seems like walking that middle road uh is definitely important here so i'm just going to switch over to uh our other slide here to talk a little bit about the uh different concepts of this golden mean so the ones we're going to go over today are going to be courage generosity ambition modesty honesty good humor friendship temperance composure and self-control now there's definitely a lot to go over with there so uh definitely stay tuned as we dive further into these topics so mm -hmm. do you want to just jump in uh we can talk a little bit about courage 
Yeah, sure. So with with courage, um, so the person who avoids everything and faces nothing becomes a coward, but a person who is not afraid of anything but willing to face everything is a fool. Yeah, I so, see what you're saying uh, there. It's uh, it's like what was that phrase? It's uh, you know, wise men or fools rush in where wise men never go, something like that. Where... Yeah. Well, the the actual quote I found was uh, it's by Alexander Pope. It's fools rush in where angels fear to tread. Ah, well, that's a little bit more so... lyrical. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, still, both both work. I think get the same message across for sure. Definitely. So uh, virtues are derived from spheres of action or feeling. Courage is linked to fear and confidence. So what do you think about that? Like courage being linked to both fear and confidence. I guess you'd have to be afraid of something for it to really be considered courage, right? Like Superman, for example, maybe not so courageous because he's invulnerable. I've heard that uh, Mm. as a critique. So if there's no actual danger and you don't really have any skin in the game, nothing on the line, can one really call that courage? It's a good question. I, I just think of like doing presentations, you know, because that's kind of like the number one fear for a lot of people, <laughs> even beating death, right? And public speaking, you know, absolutely. And it's, yeah. uh, that's why I'm glad we're kind of going through this process and, uh, and doing these podcasts because, uh, it's sort of like public speaking without as much of the, uh, I guess the audience directly in front of you causing you to, uh, maybe lose your nerve a little bit. Is uh, yeah, def- mm. definitely an uncomfortable process if uh, if you haven't done a whole lot of it. Uh, I know people have these different tips and tricks for how to how to overcome that, but I think practice and just kind of doing it and realizing that hey, I made it out of there alive. It probably could have gone a lot worse. <laughs> mm. It's a good yeah, uh, good think, way to get um, over that. This links a bit to our talk of anxiety too. Like if there's, yeah. you know, it's kind of hard to. Um, yeah, to do difficult things, there's usually going to be like, you know, this conflict of like hope and, you know, anxiety or, you know, hope and death or whatever. And there's, there's going to be that conflict, right? And we, we exhibit our courage by, you know, doing these things despite, despite that feeling, right? Absolutely. So So the, uh, the golden mean, uh, it's like an outline based on reason, but it's not an exact science, because I guess this sort of you know, predates science by several hundred years. (laughs) So I guess to try to look at it through a scientific lens might be a little erroneous because they didn't really have the kind of science back then that we do now. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, a lot of these terms, they, they mean they're kind of general in a sense, but the more you the more you think about them and you think about them relative to your situation that's where you you know you use your reason to figure it out right yeah context and, and uh, proportionality and all these things aristotle talks about as being very uh, important to the situation like anybody can get mm. angry but you got to be angry at the right person for the right reason in the right context does that make sense yeah yeah and um and that links to how there are many ways of going wrong as evil is infinite in nature, but good is finite. So it's easy to miss the mark, but it's difficult to hit it. And in a way, this is linked to the idea of sin, which is was originally an archery term, which meant to miss the mark. Right? Definitely. Like so. it's, it's infinitely easier to hit anything else than the bullseye. You know what I mean? Like if, <laughs> if you're aiming for something, it's way easier to miss than it is to actually uh, make contact with that target. 
And, uh, and it's easy to be angry at everything, <laughs> whereas it's a lot harder to be, you know, angry at the right person, right time, right cause, the right amounts. Oh yeah, know, that's the, the right infinitely more difficult. It's uh, it's definitely easy to be, I guess, angry at being itself because you know life is kind of tragic. I mean, all of us are destined to die, and it's probably not going to be peacefully. It's either going to be suddenly and violently, or it's going to be slowly and painfully. And that's kind of a shitty thing to think about. <laughs> mm -hmm. And we can try to make things... We can try to minimize the suffering around us. Yes. In ourselves. Ameliorate it to the point where maybe it's only tragic. It's merely tragic, rather than it being catastrophe mm -hmm. or even worse, like completely hell-like, right? Right. So you definitely don't want to have catastrophe descend into hell, and I think orienting yourself towards the proper virtues is a great way of dealing with that. So let's mm -hmm. see here. Uh, so if we can't hit the mean, then the next best thing would be choosing the lesser of two evils, which would involve being aware of what we're prone to and dragging ourselves away from that in order to arrive at the mean. So I know, depending on people's temperance, it's definitely easier for some people to be deficient in one thing, because that's the easiest course. And maybe for other people, it's easy to be excessive in that same degree, because that's the, I guess, easiest course based on their own temperament. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I suppose being aware of... The certain things that that draw you to your vices and learning how to mitigate those factors i suppose like i don't know <laughs> let's say you have a lot of friends who like to uh i don't know drink a lot mm. or whatever and that could be a difficult thing to to change of course or you know if you you're trying to like just reduce your drinking and go less out to establishments that would that would trigger that or you know just, yeah, being aware of these different factors, that could lead to, um, you know, your downfall, I suppose. Definitely, right? and that, well, that's one of the biggest struggles with alcoholics, is that if all your friends are also alcoholics, giving up drinking doesn't just mean you stop drinking. It also means you have to stop going to the places you always go to and hanging out with the people that you always go to. Mm. And that's a lot of dead wood to burn off all at once. That might leave you that's with the... basically nothing, right? Yeah, that's a very hard <laughs> lifestyle change, for sure. Definitely. So uh, let's see what else we got here. So virtue is a state of intentional moral purpose consisting in a mean that is relative to ourselves, the mean being determined by reason. And I know Aristotle did talk a lot about this, about how the, I guess, the main mode of being for humans is to reason. It's, I guess, to cite the cliche, it's what separates us from the bloody animals. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's, uh, yeah. let's dive into some of these other virtues here. So uh, we did talk a little bit about courage and how that's a balance between excess being rashness and a deficiency of that being cowardice. So I guess when uh, you want to be courageous, you don't want to act in a way that's foolish, but you also don't want to act in a way that's cowardly. So how do we go about finding that balance? What do you think? <laughs> yeah, um, well, with rashness, essentially it's it's linked to like impulsiveness, right? So it's like acting too quickly or without forethought. And I think of driving when I think of rashness. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you're like an angry mood, you're going to run more red lights. You're going to take more risks, you know, and you're going to take those. Yeah. Cut people off. And if you get cut off, you're probably going to take it a little bit more personally. You know what I mean? It's like that guy yeah. is intentionally out to cut me off. Well, first of all, cause he's a dick, obviously. <laughs> 
<laughs> and obviously I'm a victim. What other explanation what, could there be? What other explanation could there possibly be? Obviously that guy's a dick because he cut me off. I mean, it couldn't be that, you know, maybe he's in a hurry because he has a sick relative in the hospital or he's, you know, late for an important business meeting or anything else that might externalize that a little bit. It's much easier yeah. to, uh, I guess, to make that a, a character attack on the person that wronged you. And then, of course, with you, you're just a victim of circumstance. It has nothing to do with you being overly reactive or unable to control your emotions or anything like that, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it could put you, put yourself in much more danger. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, uh, human beings are not designed to travel at those speeds, and uh, that becomes perfectly evident when, uh, you know, we have thousands, tens of thousands of people being killed by cars every year. And a lot of it is probably preventable. But hey, you know, those uh, those automated uh, cars are coming. And I think that'll probably ameliorate a lot of that stuff. But uh, an interesting fact yeah. I, I actually heard from, uh, I think it was uh, Molyneux. He was talking about uh, how there's so many different things that are linked to intelligence. And one of them is the outcome of car accidents. Like people that are more intelligent tend to get in fewer car accidents, which I thought was kind of interesting. Mm. So, I mean, it's one of these... Uh, G-Factor is one of these things that can link to a lot of things like that. So it's probably good to be smart when you're behind the wheel because not only is your life in uh, in your hands, but a lot of other people's are as well. Mm -hmm. So, And um, I just had the, the definition of cowardice is a lack of courage to face danger, difficulty, opposition, or pain. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that it sounds so like... Maybe this is the person who is, you know, freaked out at driving at all or you know maybe had some traumatic experience related to that and you know they don't want to risk it but um yeah there could be other examples for for sure like with like with how we mentioned presentations too right and how you know you can be scared of people judging you mm -hmm. you know while you're speaking and um and and other factors too right so yeah i mean i, I certainly that uh avoiding danger is definitely an adaptive strategy for survival but i think when you get uh this serious deficiency of courage then uh that can certainly be as much of a problem as an excess of rashness mm. Mm -hmm. so next up we have uh generosity so this would be a balance between being a well, stinginess and miserliness or basically being a cheapskate and then extravagance now i know we, we talked a little bit about uh about this before where in society people that are too generous with you it uh it can create this uncomfortable reaction when you feel that you're not able to pay that back so you, people tend to shy away from people that are excessively generous because it i guess it sets up an expectation that can never really be met does that make sense mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah i remember you mentioned um before there was that family guy <laughs> exotic fish yes that was bought for peter <laughs> that's right so peter gets a gift of uh yeah this like exotic fish and it's like oh great I, I guess i'm gonna have to go to the pet store and get an aquarium and all this expensive food and and all that thank th thanks mm -hmm. a lot for this <laughs> right so <laughs> so yeah you uh you definitely don't want to ex engage in so much generosity that you're placing a burden on uh, on those around you yeah yeah and and also um in terms of extravagance too like just within your for me, like, um, there was a point where I was living in Toronto, like I was renting in Toronto, mm -hmm. I was eating out a lot, and I was also leasing a car, and this just, like, equaled constant debt. Oh, absolutely. Like yeah, it's, uh... And, uh, it became a little extravagant, and it was a lesson for me, you know, to live within my means, Yeah, essentially. absolutely, and I think that, uh, minimalism and simplicity can definitely, uh, simplify your life in a lot of very important ways, and, uh, 
I mean, that, that is a sort of a critique that we've heard about modern society where there is this constant need to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak, where we always have to continually consume and, and gain all these things we might not necessarily need. And, uh, yeah, I, I guess trying to show, yeah. show that off can be, uh, you know, it's a little off-putting for people that, uh, you know, maybe live outside of Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where you don't want to... I have one ex- example of generosity, too, um, since that's basically like an act of kindness where you're where there's a readiness to give something more than expected. And um, when I was in co-op in high school, I had a job as a web designer and I had this really generous boss who paid me and also gave me a Palm Pilot (laughs) at the job, which was great because for co-op, you're not, you're not supposed to get paid, Mm -hmm. but he still did it anyways. And it was, I was kind of just floored by it. Right. So that was. Yeah. And and for those uh, who are unfamiliar, because there's certainly a possibility of that, the, uh, the Palm Pilot was basically the original mainstream PDA that, uh, I guess, predated the smartphone. In fact, I think the Palm Trio was probably the the first introduction of, like, uh, a true smartphone, which was a Palm Pilot that had network capabilities. But uh, in hindsight, those things were were pretty terrible by today's standards. (laughs) Yeah, they were the the beginning steps, though, for sure. And um, for for stinginess, I just think of, you know, Scrooge, you know? Perfect. (laughs) Christmas Tale and, you know his uh stinginess with his worker cratchit i think his name was he didn't like bob cratchit give him any extra money for christmas yeah and no coal for the fireplace because it you know i guess it's more productive to work in a freezing cold office than than not i, I, yeah. don't, I don't know they never really explained that one but i think i think what they were probably talking about was sort of this archetype rather than an actual person where it's sort of somebody who embodies all of these horrible characteristics and then the journey yeah. he has to go through to uh to get himself out of that and I guess if we think about what it was that that caused Scrooge to, I guess, lose his miserliness was, I guess, confronting his own mortality. And that was, uh, you know, how we saw like, oh, this is how people are going to talk to me after I die. This is the, you know, the legacy that I'm going to leave. And I think that was a real shocker for him. And maybe that's what helped pull him out of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Leads to our next, um, our next virtue ambition. And this is the sphere of honor and dishonor. Hmm. And so with the deficiency, we've got sloth, and then the excess is greed. So if somebody is overly ambitious, they'd be considered greedy. Now, I don't know, maybe this is just a weird translation, because greed is sort of a weird word. You know, if so, if you have a price for something and somebody else is willing to pay it, I don't know, it's hard to call mm-hmm. that uh, that greedy necessarily. I suppose unless, uh, you know, or you were to use some mechanism like the state to eliminate your competition and then jack up your prices, in which case, yeah, I could definitely see that as being greedy. And uh, sloth, everyone's favorite weird-ass animal, that's uh, just <laughs> really slow and unambitious. So uh, what do you think about uh, sloth and how that could affect somebody's uh, embodiment of virtue? Right. Well, I see it as habitually avoiding action or effort and it's basically laziness too so if we don't really you know do the things we need to do (laughs) that are calling out to us like in our present condition then we can't really achieve anything yeah you want to make effective bargains with the future right you you don't want to make uh make zero bargains with the future engage in everything you want right now and save nothing for later uh, I mean, I'm sure there's... You don't want to be completely passive. 
definitely you want to be able to take some control over your own life because I think uh, a lot of what we talked about in the last couple episodes with depression and anxiety could uh, be facilitated or enabled by things like sloth and laziness where you know if you don't get off your ass and do something eventually you're going to get to a point where like shit why is my life so terrible it's like well what have you been doing for the last 10 years if it's nothing then well obviously you know your life's not going to work out the way you want it's uh I guess you have to choose your suffering effectively. You don't get the choice to have no suffering. It's just not really something that life offers people. You know, it's either you take the pain now or you take the pain later. And inevitably, the pain later is going to be worse. So it's uh, it's definitely mm. good to uh, to get on that as quickly as possible. Yes. So it's about seeing ahead. <laughs> yeah. Planning ahead. And sure. I think with, with greed, I think if you were to talk like about someone who is overly ambitious, somebody who would be willing to step on other people to get what they want, uh, have no consideration for how their actions might affect other people negatively, mm. stuff like that. I think that that might be a more, uh, I guess, modern context for what ambition to a pathological degree would really represent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's basically like an intense selfish desire for something, mm-hmm. such as wealth or power or, you know, other, you know, and it's it seems like it's, it's like basing your self-worth on on possessions like it could be it could be linked to that sort of yeah and everybody loves possessions everybody loves wealth and it's not like these things in and of themselves are a problem but i think it's fairly self-evident when you know you sort of talk about an excess of these things where someone i guess and i and i hate to bring it back to an adam sandler movie but when we think of that that movie click where he basically puts his life on fast forward and just basically okay well right now i want to advance in my career it's like okay well let's see if what happens in 10 years if that's your only desire you know what i mean and, and he, yeah, he ends you up sacrifice key components of your life yeah that's i think what mainly happens and it's funny because i i thought of another um adam sandler movie for sloth hmm. for example billy madison perfect <laughs> man because you know in the beginning he's living at his father's mansion yeah just like getting drunk every day and looking at porno magazines yep. and, just and drawing on himself with sunscreen imaginary penguins <laughs> yes yes and that, maybe adam sandler is a little bit deeper than we give him credit for i don't know yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't know maybe just in hindsight it's like oh wow maybe those movies did have a point shit <laughs> all right and, uh next up we got uh modesty so i guess an excess of modesty they they call pride or uh, and a deficiency of modesty being humility. Now, I guess the way the, these this is worded, I don't know. It seems uh, a little bit harder to swallow than than I guess just talking about modesty in and of itself. So, someone who's uh, maybe deficient in this modesty, or may, doesn't speak up for themselves enough, they have a mm-hmm. almost I would say an excess of humility rather than a deficiency of modesty. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think like with the deficiency, it's basically like you're, you're undervaluing, valuing yourself yeah. and it's almost like too much self-deprecation mm-hmm. and, um, it's, uh, yeah, it could be linked to like a sense of like, it's also linked to the sphere of shame. So that kind of gives us a hint as well. So someone who's excessively ashamed of themselves might not really go to bat for themselves and yeah okay so yeah that would make sense whereas modesty itself it's uh it's just more of a humble estimate of your merits your importance and you're free you're free from vanity and egotism and boastfulness mm-hmm. and um you know uh the thing that i 
tend to think of is just people giving credit to like their team members. Like if, you know, yeah. Sharing, sharing credit, giving people credit where it's due. Like it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely yeah, seen like as it's not all about them essentially. Yeah. It's definitely they, seen as a negative when somebody takes credit for something somebody else has done, especially if it's a leader. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, well, here's an idea I came up with and everybody knows it's like, no, we, we know that person came up with it. Like you're not fooling anybody, but <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. And I think with, um, with pride, it's just, um, it's an excessively high opinion of oneself or mm -hmm. one's importance and also a sense of shamelessness. And, um, the example I thought of for this was, um, you remember that Simpsons episode when, uh, they do the, uh, Springfield movie festival okay. and Mr. Burns has the movie with Sinier Spilbergo mm. and basically Mr. Burns is like, he's like first a Mexican revolutionary and then he's in like the place of E.T. And then the next part, he's like helping some slave in a desert, give him like a <laughs> bottle of water. <laughs> so basically taking credit for all the archetypal heroes of history. Yeah. 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 And he says, you truly are the king of kings. And then everyone hates the movie. <laughs> Absolutely. So, like, egotistical. A little bit. Yeah, I definitely hear that. So it almost seems like this would be self-awareness in a sense like someone who has an a deficiency in this might only look at the negatives of themselves whereas someone on the other side only looks at the positives without any yeah. any of the negatives so yeah having totally a a healthy self-awareness and an understanding of our own faults as well as our own values and virtues and stuff like that and seeing it in congruence with reality is definitely going to be more important than swinging too far in the uh, the other direction and i think this is probably one of the problems that I have with the whole self-esteem movement that we went through when we were in uh, in elementary school and high school where there was this huge push like, oh, well, kids just need to have more self-esteem, but it's it's despicable, really. It's sort of like, well, why do we have a, a participation trophy generation? It's like, well, everyone just mm. expects to be proud of something that they never achieved. You know, people want to get mm. have like pride in themselves without having done anything to achieve it. So when life eventually right. comes and hits you, you have really nothing to fall back on because you haven't done anything. And uh, this whole self-esteem thing is really not going to help you with that. Yeah. Well, the problem is they never really, I don't remember them really defining what self-esteem is or really how to build it in a proper way. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think there's anything really wrong with, with self-esteem. And I actually have some ideas we can maybe bring in for another episode. But um, the issue is, is yeah, like how are you supposed to have, yeah, self-esteem for basically doing nothing. But at the same point, like, we all have our own worth as a person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that shouldn't be disregarded. But I, I hear what you're saying about, yeah, like, the participation <laughs> trophy thing too, right? Yeah. And Because um, I guess the thinking was, yeah. is like, well, if we could just make everyone feel better about themselves, then the world will be a better place. It's like, well, no, what if people feel shitty about themselves so they take the steps necessary to improve their lives and as such, everything else improves around them? However... Yeah, yeah, and that's it. Yeah. That's exactly it. And that's what self-esteem is about, is becoming more conscious of yourself and also your thinking ability and, yeah, building a sense of integrity. Definitely. And I, I think maybe what they were conflating it was with, uh, with this self-love Right. Where it's like, it is important to love yourself. You know what I mean? It's, you don't want to hate yourself. And maybe that was what they were trying to push back <laughs> against. It's like, well, you know, with, we, we don't want to have this nihilistic generation that just hates not only themselves, but being itself, you know? So the, the right. best way to get around that would just be like, well, everyone just feel better about them, themselves. But 
It's like it's like that old uh, example Molyneux always talks about about uh, you know all the tall people are on basketball teams, but putting someone on a basketball team isn't going to make them taller. You know we know how to make people shorter and and weaker by depriving them of nutrition in early childhood, but if you just eat a lot when you're older, you're not going to get taller. You're just going to get wider. It just it doesn't work that way. So I think it's maybe just a case of putting the cart before the horse. Yeah the wrong solution <laughs> i guess yeah definitely and that that segues us nicely into uh the next virtue of honesty where it is important that uh that we are honest with ourselves so a deficiency of honesty would be this sort of secrecy and then the excess would be loquacity now i remember you uh gave me a definition of this uh this last time you want to go over a little bit about uh what loquacity is yeah it's basically being like overly talkative essentially so oh yeah um yeah, and um, I I have a few examples. One was I was um, I was recently at a job interview, and I don't want to I won't go into too many de- details, but I just think that I might have said too many things <laughs> rather than like about my maybe my current job situation or something. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I just um, I just feel I just get the sense that maybe I could have been a little more selective on things that I I spoke about okay and another example was um, I was just at a bar a bar with a friend and um, she was talking a lot about like her cell phone bill and her cell phone company and what a thrilling conversation that sounds like (laughs) yeah yeah and it it just felt like it was going on and on and on and it just like there was just this tension building up in me and uh you know it just seemed it just went a lot more longer than it that it needed to be right so it's eventually you you just gotta be like listen half an hour is too long to talk about your cell phone and it's not even (laughs) like your phone itself it's like look at all the cool things this can do and it's like yeah that's great we've had cell phones for years it's not that impressive, but talking about your the cell phone company and all that, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of a weird one. But I, I hear what you were saying before about the previous example. It almost makes me think of that uh, that term oversharing. You've heard of that before, mm. where you know it's like if uh, you know, hey, how was your day today? It's like, oh well, I had this really great bowel movement. It's like, <laughs> oh okay, that that's not exactly where I thought this was going to go. I was sort of just expecting a, a fine or an okay or something generic like that, so that we could just sort of move on with a different topic, but uh, a little too much information. Yeah, yeah. Like I had, uh, but it, it's interesting. Like if if you if you listen carefully and you pay attention, quite often people will will tell you something about their own experience that's so interesting and profound that you realize that they couldn't really make it up because it's such a unique perspective. Like uh, I was at the hospital the other day in the waiting room and uh, I was reading Peterson's 12 Rules for Life and there was a uh, an elderly guy sitting next to me and he asked me what that was. So I sort of explained to him that it's a uh, like a book that I was reading and he, and he was talking about how like, you know, cell phones are super dangerous and all that stuff. And so I just sort of paid attention and listened. And eventually I found out that he's, uh, he's trying to take bell to court for a bunch of crap they put him through with, uh, in regards to his disability and all that. So I basically asked him, it's like, okay, so, you know, do you have a plan? And he's like, oh yeah, I got, uh, you know, a ton of spare dynamite back at the farm. (laughs) I'm just like, oh man, oh man. Like, I don't, maybe don't be saying that shit in public. That's, uh, (laughs) (laughs) I <laughs> was pretty I mean I'm sure he was joking but it seems like uh you know if you push people to that that length it uh it can definitely go south if uh you know you push people too far and he was totally willing to share that with me a complete stranger 
So wow. that just seemed like a funny example of uh, an overshare. So uh, yeah. and now the other Absolutely. side of it, the other side of this would be uh, secrecy. Someone who I don't know. What do you think? Like secrecy is that the, is that the right word? Or would this be sort I of think a it's more like understatement or like a half truth? Ah, yes. Or like a restrained representation of the facts. So let's say there was like an earthquake and a journalist wrote that, okay, the the earthquake caused some damage when in reality it caused a ton of damage. Like it just leveled a city and it's like a few buildings came down. It's like, well, yeah, a few buildings came down. A lot of other buildings came down as well. And thousands of people were killed, but you know, you know, there, there was some property damage. You know, there was some dust on the yeah. sidewalk. And I, I guess the, uh, <laughs> the the most poignant example I could think of with uh, with this would be, you know, news outlets like CNN with the selective mm-hmm. coverage. And it's not so much that uh, they're lying through commission. It's more about lying through omission, like the stuff that they're not covering. That's just as important, but because it doesn't fit the narrative, they, they kind of cut that out. So I think that would be mm-hmm. uh, definitely a deficiency of honesty in that regard. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But uh, again, it's important to maintain good humor <laughs> about it, <laughs> which is our uh, our next topic. So this would be the uh, a deficiency being someone who's really morose and uh, someone who has an excess of this good humor would, I guess, be uh, a little on the absurd side, which is how we pronounce yeah. it now. Um, this is like the sphere of conversation. So, yeah, like you said, the deficiency, someone who's more sullen and gloomy ill-humored maybe they're depressed or something and they're having a harder time seeing the lighter side of life Mm -hmm. taking in jokes and yeah so it might be you know you don't want to be a negative nancy so to speak (laughs) yeah yeah And, and um the balance would be cleverness and wittiness so kind of like a, a mental sharpness mm-hmm. and well you know the uh the right time for humor and stuff like that right yeah yeah and being quick and inventive when you're you know being humorous and absurdity it's more just you know a ridiculous you know widely unreasonable maybe outside the bounds of you know more normal social conduct in a sense and uh yeah, you you. I think you mentioned that LOL. Um, yes, the uh, the uh, the. I guess the way we'd normally conceive of this would be uh, laugh out loud. But uh, I found out from my sister recently. Some people actually use it to represent lots of love, which I think could be definitely mm-hmm. taken out of context. Like if you're signing a bereavement card for someone in the office and you say something like "Sorry for your loss," LOL. <laughs> you know, it's it's probably not going to be taken as like lots of love, right? They're going to be like, "What do you mean, LOL?" I, you know that's not funny. Yeah. This is a this is a horrible situation. So, uh, yeah. and yeah, stuff like you know high fives at a funeral, things like this, where it's just it's absurd. You you know it's not the the right circumstance for that kind of humor. So, uh, having having the ability to know when not to tell jokes is is definitely important. You got to be able to read your audience and know that okay maybe these people aren't really in the mood for jokes. So maybe let's keep the humor yeah. to uh, to a minimum at uh, at at this point, right? But uh, yeah. If you were to have context, context is definitely important. Like you want to have the, what is it? The right joke for the right person in the right circumstance (laughs) as uh, as Aristotle would probably say. Now, I guess the other side of this would be, uh, you know, if you're, uh, you know, at a, a birthday party or right after a comedy show or something where everyone's sharing jokes and laughing and you're like, yeah, guys, but you do realize that life is a sexually transmitted disease with a mortality rate of a hundred percent. Everyone's like, oh yeah, that. That, that's nice. That's a real great contribution to the conversation. 
you know, yeah. you don't, you don't want to be too too morose in those kind of circumstances, right? You want to be able to have the uh, that balance and not be a Debbie Downer and uh, be a wet blanket and all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. So next up, we got uh, friendship. So a deficiency being quarrel quarrelsomeness and uh, an excess being flattery. Now, uh, I know with uh, the flattery thing, when someone is being excessively friendly, this can also be very off-putting. You know what I mean? Someone you just met giving you all these compliments and you're sort of like, well, you know, I, I don't really know how to repay you for that because I don't know you that well. You don't know me that well. This feels a little weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's ex it's excessive and insincere praise mm -hmm. to possibly further one's own interests, right? Yeah, definitely. What what does this person want out of me? What what uh, what are they trying to get out of this? I mean, it uh, doesn't seem genuine and it, it can obviously be very off-putting for people. So yeah. And it gets to the point where just too many compliments, it's just embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You start to feel that sense of embarrassment where it's not only does this person giving you compliments that you don't think they're qualified to give, but you also might start to feel like, okay, maybe I'm not really deserving of all this praise, and I'm probably not going to be able to live up to this example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, what about uh, someone on the more deficient side, someone who's maybe a little bit more quarrelsome? Uh, just give me a sec. Sure. Sorry. All right, so I guess Timmy has decided to be quarrelsome and run off in the middle of the show, but that's all right. Let's talk uh, a, a little bit about uh, those who are quarrelsome. Sorry, uh, just trying to let the cat out. No worries. <laughs> um, so this, yeah, the quarrelsomeness, it's, um, it's when you're too argumentative and disagreeable, right. I would say, and just making things unnecessarily worse <laughs> than they need to be. For sure. Like we know that uh, agreeableness is one of the big five personality traits. So somebody who maybe has a deficiency of agreeableness might try to find fault in everything. I find uh, like on the Art of Charm podcast, they talk about these low value behaviors. And uh, one of them would be the excessively competitive person where you tell a story and they're like, oh yeah, well, here's this like similar story. And it's like, it's even worse when they're like, here's a similar story my buddy told me. And it's like, well, it's not even your fucking story. <laughs> and you're doing it just to be what, what we would call a topper. Somebody who always has to go above and beyond and tell a way more interesting story than uh, the one you were telling, right? Kind of a kind of yeah. a pain in the ass, really. Try to like one up. One up, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We You don't want to be doing that. It's, uh, you know, it's always good to make a contribution to the conversation. But eventually you'd be, people will begin to develop or notice this pattern that you have of going out of your way to be seen as better than other people. And that's uh, definitely not a good character trait that you want to uh, embody, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And yeah, I just think of like people who just like to basically like pick fights or mm. they, they talk to you in a pretty like forceful way or they, um, yeah, they just, they just argue more or they're just more angry pathological <laughs> aggression like, perhaps things that don't don't need that right so yeah yeah no yeah. and you definitely don't want to be doing that i mean it is uh, important to have frank discussions sometimes but if if that's all you're having you're probably not going to be making a very valuable contribution to your friendships so mm. finding the uh, the middle ground between uh not arguing too much but then also not being uh, excessively uh, flattering of other people so finding yeah. uh, finding a golden mean i think that uh, also ties back into honesty where you're uh, being able to relate to other people in an honest manner which is definitely very important uh next up we got temperance now i know we had uh, a little trouble with this one because it's uh it is sort of a, a weird 
a weird word for, I guess, a balance between someone who's, you know, incredibly self-indulgent and someone with insensibility. So what do you think about the wording of, uh, of these ones here? Mm-hmm. Well, I think with insensibility, I was reading in the actual book, like they basically just didn't have a name to call that excess of temperance. So mm-hmm. I think it's more just like an overregulation, like maybe too much order in your life, too much restriction. Not enough chaos. Someone who is pathologically <laughs> conscientious and orderly where they can't have even yeah. anything out of place. Now, I think one of the ways we, we had illustrated this before was uh, for those of you who are in university or college living away from home and you're living with roommates for the first time, these are distinctions that will probably become quite evident after the first couple of months where you have people that really, really like to have the place clean and those other people who couldn't give a shit about what the place looks like. Mm. So you'll end up having certain people you know, cleaning a lot and other people making a lot of mess and this can lead to a lot of conflict so you definitely want to try to to walk the mean there don't be uh i guess super orderly and make everyone else's life miserable because there was one dish left in the sink but you also don't want to be the guy that's you know making a mess and never cleaning up after themselves right mm-hmm. yeah and the, the self-indulgence that's um this is in the sphere of pleasure and pain of course so you know the self-indulgence, it leads to, you could say it leads to like a sense of hedonism and also gluttony and lust. And um, so it's like an excessive focus on pleasure and a lack, hence a lack of moderation. And you could say it's like burning the candle at both sides, right? Mm-hmm. And so let's say you, you eat a lot of fast food, you're drinking a lot, you're having eating a lot of desserts and uh you know all these things combined together it's gonna <laughs> it's not gonna you know turn out for a yeah you're gonna live uh, a very good life for about 40 years and then that's it so <laughs> you, you probably want to space that out a little bit and uh you'll live twice as long uh now i yeah. i remember when uh, when we saw this one it made me think a little bit about the temperance movement back in the 1920s you had people mm-hmm. that were excessively orderly in that that you know never have a drink don't even touch the stuff and then the other people that would go get shit faced on their lunch break every single day and after work every single day and uh, a lot of people would die young back then so maybe that was sort of the way of uh, of dealing with that chaos right and i guess mm-hmm. if you think about life as being kind of tragic the argument becomes, well, you know, why not just pursue hedonism, right? It's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just live in the now, live in the moment, never save for the future because we're all going to die anyway. And it's like, well, yeah, I guess, but, <laughs> you know, there's maybe a different path one could take that would lead to uh, the eudaimonia that we talk about a little bit and uh, getting themselves sorted out effectively. Yeah, I mean, those two, you know, instances are both both excesses. Like it doesn't have to mean like you don't do it at all, or on the other side where you do you it know, all the time, all the time, all the time, right? Yeah. So you want to find like, that. Uh... Yeah, be able to come to the middle, and I think you know in that instance there's more balance, and you know you can have some fun once in a while too. And and I think that nowadays like the uh, people are a little bit more temperate. Like by the time you know you're in your 30s, 40s, you have family and other responsibilities. Mm-hmm it's not really seen as socially responsible to be going out and getting shit-faced all the time, but for someone who's in <laughs> university, that maybe be, they might get more of a pass for that because they don't have those same responsibilities. But uh, right. yeah, right. I, I think it uh, walking that middle line and is, uh, is definitely important. So next up we have composure. So this would be a balance between completely apathetic behavior versus really, really irritable behavior. 
Mm-hmm. This is the sphere of anger. And I think with composure, you could probably um, substitute that with patience, which is the capacity to accept, tolerate, accept and tolerate delay, trouble and suffering without getting angry or upset. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got a good example of this. Um, I was doing a presentation, a group presentation um, and um, earlier in the winter. And anyways, we we basically said some lines together at once and a few things got out of sync during the presentation. And mm. I did feel kind of angry, but I didn't like lose it or anything. I just kept going yeah. with the presentation, going going through the lines and everything. So I think that was a good example of composure or patience. And whereas with the excesses be would be irritability, but that could be also like wrath or rage, bad temper, mm-hmm. you know. Um, another example for that one, um, I was in a band um, for a while and basically I got fed up with the situation. Like we weren't, um, we weren't really doing much. Like we were just basically practicing and mm-hmm. um, essentially I tried to book us some live shows, but it didn't it didn't end up happening and I just got, I just got really pissed off and just thought, well, screw it. What's the point? And I, I just, I suggested maybe we should, you know, we should stop the band and that's what happens. And in hindsight, you know, I'm kind of reconsidering that decision, but I wasn't happy at the time. So well, you, you, you were getting pretty irritated with the result and the rest of them were really apathetic about the result. So obviously there's, there's going to be a conflict of composure there, right? Where, uh, you know, if you all want different things and you're, you're not sort of agreeing what, what those values are, then it's, uh, it can be very difficult to move forward in any really productive way. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You're not going to be producing much if, half of them don't give a shit and then the other half of the people give way too much of a shit. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. So with apathy, it's a lot, it's like a lack of spirit or interest, enthusiasm, concern. And yeah, I mean, this is a really, really deadly one. Cause I, I struggle with this at times too. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I get like in a negative um, mindset and, you know, you just wonder what's, what's the point of, you know, certain things or, or doing this or that. Right. And, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, um, it's a tough one, but, um, it's good to remind yourself that, yeah, it's a deficiency and, you know, it is, I think I feel, I've always felt it's important to gear oneself towards a purposeful life and trying to see the meaning in our actions and, you know, Pursue that which is meaningful, not that which is expedient, perhaps? Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) Rule number seven. Which is a difficult road. Yes. um, Yeah, because I mean, obviously, yeah, pursuing what is pleasurable and expedient is uh, is definitely an easier path and it has its appeals, but uh, it doesn't tend to have as as good of a long-term outcome as pursuing that which is meaningful, which leads us into our uh, final virtue here of self-control and uh, why that would be important. So you want to maintain that balance between, I guess, indecisiveness and impulsiveness. Now, this one seems a little bit easier to understand. Uh, Someone who has uh, a deficiency of that self-control, they're not going to be able to decide how to do anything. And Mm -hmm. uh, the person who has this excess of it might be uh, a little on the impulsive side. Mm -hmm. 
And I thought like you could switch, you could actually switch impulsiveness and indecisiveness hmm. because it would kind of make sense. Like if someone was had too much self-control, then maybe they they wouldn't decide on anything. Whereas if they don't have enough self-control, they'll be impulsive, right? Hence a deficiency. Yeah, you know I mean, yeah, that makes. Uh, it could be that they could be switched around in a way. That actually makes yeah. way more sense than this chart. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah, if you lack yeah self control, you'd probably be more impulsive. And if you have way too much self control, then how do you decide which path is the correct one, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Um, and I think this probably so ties yeah. back into the the first one with courage, right? Like someone who's uh, you know really impulsive, they might be more prone to being rash. And then someone who's uh, really indecisive is probably a little on the cowardly side. Mm-hmm. Did you want to tell us a bit about Phineas Gage? Oh, yeah. Phineas Gage, yeah. This was uh, an interesting story that ha happened, uh, I think, a couple hundred years ago where what, what people used to do in, uh, as a form of work was they'd break up boulders. And I guess if you've ever seen a... Uh, field that hasn't been prepped for farming there are just boulders everywhere and there's not going to be a whole lot you can do with that so what you uh, would have to do would be drill a hole into the boulder fill it with gunpowder tamp down a bunch of cotton with a big metal rod uh in order to to compact it down there and focus the energy to blow the boulder apart but uh, i guess phineas uh forgot to put the cotton in which is bad because these rods are made of solid iron so uh it would create sparks and what happened was is when he uh, went to go tamp down the gunpowder, it exploded and the rod shot right up through his eye socket out the top of his head and landed about 100 meters behind him. And what this did was it basically completely eviscerated the frontal lobe of his brain, which we know now is uh, tied in uh, with a lot of executive function, planning, impulse control, things like that. And miraculously, he survived. Like, they got him to the hospital, they uh, got him patched up and stabilized and all that, and he was conscious the whole time. Uh, because if you were to lesion uh, the front of the brain, it's not going to have any effect on the, I guess, the central nervous system or the kind of structures you need to actually stay alive. But what happened was, is when he came back to work, he was a completely different person. People couldn't believe that he was, you know, so angry and impulsive and, and all these other things. And they didn't know who this person was. And he wasn't really able to hold down a job very effectively after that because of that lack of executive function. And I know we also talked wow. a little bit about how this is the last structure of the brain to get developed in humans. It's uh, one of the more recent adaptations, and it also develops latest in our maturity. So this isn't actually fully functional till you're, uh, I think, in your mid-20s or so, which uh, does help to explain the impulsiveness of youth. Mm -hmm. Yep, and the um, digestion of Tide Pods. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. This is why they're, uh, you know, you know, eating Tide Pods and pulling condoms through their nose and all this kind of stuff. Just, well, maybe you never thought about what the uh, the consequences of that was, but, you know, that that's also, I think, just a, a cry for attention, uh, which, is, which is unfortunate, where I think people will measure yeah. their social status by their Instagram followers or their Facebook likes or their mm. retweets or, or things like that, where they're these sort of artificial indicators of being social, but they're they're really not. So, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, you definitely don't want to have that happen. And uh, what was it? Uh, I think Peterson was talking before about how, the, uh, unfortunately, the model we have right now for getting rid of uh, violent offenders, because violent uh, kind of stuff, that tends to peak around the age of 15, and it drops off quite precipitously after that. So if people are really engaging in a lot of criminal activity, the best we can really do is just put them in jail till they're 27 and then let them out, because they, they'll probably not reoffend after that, because the uh, that tendency tends to drop off quite a lot. But the catch-22 of that is that uh, the worst thing that you can do for antisocial people is put them into groups with other antisocial people. 
So what do you, what do we really do about that? And I mean, how to deal with, you know, criminal offenders and stuff. It's been a, a challenge for society since time immemorial. So right, I don't know. Right. I don't know. What do you think we should do about that? Do we have a, a, <laughs> a solution for what to do about the criminal elements of society? Wow. <laughs> that's a big, uh, that's a tall order, Steve. Yeah, I think maybe we'll leave that for uh, for another episode when we have some time yeah. to think about that. Because yeah, yeah, sure. what else do you um, do with that, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, self-control, um, That's it's linked to the other virtue of prudence. Hmm. Um, so ability to judge between actions appropriately at a given time. And yeah, um, also indecisiveness, you know, being, stu- being stuck and not being able to make decisions and not being able to act. And I think this links to what we talked a bit about anxiety too, right? Mm-hmm. Being in the grips of that and being afraid to make decisions because you might think that not- you might catastrophize and think that nothing's going to work well no matter which decision you make so why even bother yeah sometimes having too many options can be just as bad as having no options at all because you're sort of par what is it paralysis by analysis i think that mm. uh, that term goes yeah. you're so busy trying to figure out what to do that you never really get around mm-hmm. to uh, to doing anything and i know uh for us we were trying to figure out uh how about how to go about doing this podcast and i guess it's like well you know what let's just start it let's just do it because we're not going to know until we actually, you know, get into it. So, you know, we'll do it badly yeah. for the first little while and then uh, we'll see what we can do to tweak it and improve it and all that stuff. But if you try to work that stuff out all beforehand, you're just never going to do anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, um, yeah, that's the thing. Like I've been learning as, uh, I've been going on as I'm sure you have, and it's been, yeah, it's been interesting and I've been getting, getting a lot out of it for sure. Because we have to speak in order to be, in order to think, you know what I mean? We have to, to get our thoughts out there in order to actually formulate what our thoughts are. Um, mm-hmm. Like your cat mm-hmm. right there, it just decided it would be a great idea to hop up on the uh, the back of the chair. Oh. <laughs> Adorable. Yeah, and I think with, you, with indecisiveness, it's just good to ask, like, what are your, your next actions that you can do and what's realistic, mm-hmm. essentially, and... Because, you know, at some point we we have to act given a problem, right? So it's yeah, because the problem yeah. is just going to get uh, get bigger and bigger. You know that It'll build up. Yeah, yeah, that's a dragon you want to slay when it's this big, not when it fills a cave. You know what I mean? Yeah, nip it in the bud. Exactly. Right? It's a, it's a great way to do that. Uh, catch the problems early. Do not let them to grow out uh, out of control. Now there was this mm-hmm. this last one. We do have uh, a bit of time for here. With a mean here, the virtue was righteous indignation, with an excess being envy and a deficiency being malicious enjoyment. Do you want to talk a little bit about that one? <laughs> yeah. So with righteous indignation, that's, you know, that's essentially when you're you're repelled or even offended <laughs> by mm. something, you know. Um, so, you know, if you strongly feel that you're, you know, justified in this, that would be, that would be the mean. And whereas the excess, um, would be a sort of envy or, or jealousy and the deficiency is, I guess it's kind of like a malevolence okay. in a sense where you're getting, or maybe like sadism where you're getting pleasure out of some sort of harm that's being done to someone. Oh, is that like that, uh, schadenfreude or whatever that term is for, 
I guess, uh, deriving joy from the misfortune of other people. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what it's um, what's it's what what it's talking about. So, because I know with uh, um, when you mentioned this this envy thing, I think there is a distinction between envy and jealousy that's important to illustrate. Um, yeah, envy is I guess being upset about something that someone else has, whereas jealousy is more about being upset that someone has something that you used to have. You know what I mean? So you're envious about the guy who's got that nice new car. But, uh, you know, you're jealous because that car was just repoed from you last week. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, okay. So that there, is a, there is a bit of a gray area there where they, they do kind of yeah. overlap. But there is, there is that distinction where jealousy is it's more tied to something that you had personally and now somebody else has it. Whereas envy is something that maybe you never had but you wish you did, if that makes any sense at all. Hmm. But uh, righteous right. indignation, I mean, I know that that term does get thrown around quite a bit where, you know, like the pearl clutching and the, oh, won't someone think of the children, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. But I think there there are things that we do need to be indignant about, stuff that we shouldn't accept when boundaries are violated, when we see uh, people behaving in malevolent manners. And I think there is uh, there is a reason to be to stand up for that. But I think it can go too far now when we have this sort of emotionally anemic generation where the littlest prick will just cause them to bleed uncontrollably Mm -hmm. and uh the the slightest offense now needs to be treated as violence and all this other nonsense that we're seeing uh on these university campuses where you know these people don't seem to have the coping skills to deal with any sort of discomfort but at the same time feel that they have the right not to feel uncomfortable which seems to be a rather new development because i don't remember any of this when i was in school i mean there would be a few people like that but it wasn't the the majority and maybe it isn't it it's still it just it's getting the most attention because they're the uh what is that the tyranny of the shrill minority with the people that uh mm-hmm. scream the loudest or the squeaky wheel that gets the grease so to speak mm-hmm. but I, life life is inherently uncomfortable i think there's no <laughs> two ways about it definitely and, w- and where and did we get this idea that it shouldn't be yeah yeah exactly and we're just you're just always going to run into people that aren't going to share your same values or opinions. And I think it's learning to be okay with that or maybe even seeing, you know, what it is they're really getting at from the other side. Um, And I think enabling this kind of behavior is just as bad because you don't want people to be feeling like they're the victim of a violent crime because somebody disagreed with them. I think that's a horrible outcome for people. You know, it's, it's, Mm. you have to let people know that they can actually tolerate you know, people having different opinions without you feeling that you need to shut them down. And uh, unfortunately, mm-hmm. I think a lot of that is is happening now where it's it's coming back to this whole, you know, book burning idea where it's like we need to get rid of all these ideas that we don't like because somehow, which we haven't quite figured out how this is going to work, but I assume <laughs> that if we just burn all the books that are bad, then we'll only have books that are good and then we can have our utopia, you know. Mm-hmm. but who gets to decide no. that <laughs> well obviously right. we do obviously <laughs> yeah 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 so i think this is uh it's important to be indignant about the right things in the right situations with the right people so uh, i think mm. yeah that would uh, that would fit in with this aristotle uh style of thinking so was there uh there anything else that we wanted to go over here for uh these virtues well maybe just a closing some closing remarks about why these virtues will help you lead a better life Mm -hmm. i think that 
I think if you, you just take some time to reflect and, and think about, you know, some interactions maybe with your family or coworkers or, or friends, you can kind of see these, these virtues sort of um, sprout up pretty much. Um, I think, you know, these are basically kind of like imprints of behavior that have been around for a very long period of time and they've been expressed in, in different ways, but they've, essentially helped i think they've helped you know society cooperate and progress yeah because we can either be um, uh tyrants we can be slaves or we can negotiate and if we uh if, mm. if we don't negotiate things are going to go bad really fast and i'm mm -hmm. starting i think we're starting to see a little bit of that now where there's this sort of divide between a lot of people uh on a lot of these grounds but i think it's also important to see that you know we we can recognize when people aren't behaving virtuously and mm -hmm. you're you're going to learn a lot from the people in life that that you have that i guess that re reaction to where you're like well i i don't really like the way that is behaving i can't really articulate why but i i know i don't want to mm -hmm. be like that and i think that's a, an important feeling to pay attention to where Absolutely. yeah if you see something that you don't like you want to make sure well I don't want to act that way. And then that's probably the best you can do at this point, right? Because you can't really control the way other people act without the use of negotiation or, you know, heaven help you force. Because <laughs> you definitely don't want to try to force people to act a certain way. I mean, you can give incentives here and there, but uh, I think being manipulative and uh, trying to coerce people is probably not the best way of going about that. So I think virtue can help you lead by example. If you were to act mm -hmm. in a certain way and other people say, well, that guy's acting this way and things seem to be working out well. Maybe I could embody some of that myself. Now, that's not going to be everybody, but it might be enough people to sort of say, well, if I act that way, maybe I can improve my life. And then when other people see that their lives are improving and they start to think, well, why is their life improving? And you can see how they're acting differently and say, well, maybe I can do that too. So it's not going to be uh, not going to be particularly expedient, but it's certainly better than the alternatives, which would be uh, you know using force to tell people how to you know live their life and stuff like that. And we we probably don't want to go down that path again because you know we got a, uh, a stack of bodies a hundred million high from the twentieth century that I don't think we can afford to repeat. Absolutely, yeah. I think it's again it comes down to the individual and individual responsibility, and um, yeah taking an honest look at oneself and and seeing what what virtues you'd like to to exercise and see what happens because like life is an experiment in that way right and mm -hmm. i think i definitely think that yeah focusing on focusing on these will will garner positive results not just for yourself but people around you too that's like what you said about setting an example yeah and the other thing is we yeah. we have nothing better to do you know what I mean? It's it's not, it's not like you have anything to lose by trying to act more virtuously. You know what I mean? You might uh, yeah. have to burn off some of the elements of yourself that are not working for you, but if they're not working for you, why are you hanging on to them? That would be my question. Right. It's like if you know that the behavior that you're doing is wrong and it's not serving you well, it's not serving anybody else well, well, maybe let it go and see what happens. At least stop mm -hmm. doing the things that you know are wrong. I mean, we might not know exactly what the good is or what the best thing we could orient ourselves is, but at least we can orient ourselves away from that which is not effective. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, yeah, I think you made a great point there, for sure. Um, and yeah, like, it's just... I'm just trying to think like you um 
it's it's kind of similar to what we said about you know how you know evil is it can be infinite it's very much more Mm -hmm. you know spread among where the good is finite it's more of a it's more of a narrow path and even though you know these are these are general terms um we can use our reason to see how they apply in our life relative to us and for our own situation and um and yeah it's like yeah what do you what do you got to lose right i mean if you're doing if you're doing the same thing constantly over and it's not you're not happy with it and they're not you're not getting the right results then it might be time to to make to, a change uh, switch it make up make a change yeah. and try some new ideas yeah Definitely. All right. Well, let's uh, let's end it on that. And if uh, obviously, if you guys have any questions, leave them uh, in the comment section below, and we'll do our best to address them. But uh, other than that, was there anything else you wanted to add here, Tim? Um, yeah, I just want to say that yeah, this is based on the wisdom of the past that you know men have worked hard to to develop and have created with their own experience. So why not you know see what you know these people have. I've worked hard on and what they've discovered and it gives us good ideas to to uh use on our own so fantastic yeah. well uh we'll see you guys in a little uh, while for our next episode but until then this is the sorted skeptics signing off <laughs>